And welcome back to another episode of Ladies First. I'm Corey. I managed to drag Diana back onto another episode with me because I put her on the spot last time. Hello. But we're talking Winona Earp, so I don't think it's that much of a hardship. Uh, Diana is actually our Winona Earp reviewer as well, so. I would like to think I know a little about it. So this, this should be a fun episode. It's been a hot minute since we've done Winona Earp on Ladies First. So there's probably quite a lot of ground we could cover on this. Um, this will be up through the first half of season four. Uh, be aware that there are more episodes for season four that are coming back at some point in 2021. We don't know when exactly. We just know 2021 was what we could find. So... Yay, more episodes, more cracky goodness. By the time this episode goes up, there will also be an article that Diana has published about Winona Earp and why she is joining the glorious ranks of the glorious dumbass. Um, It's a character trope that we kind of made up for the fundamentals. We have a few of them. Um, Also, you know, a dutiful princess, which is the oldest one. We've had that one for a few years. And then... We started watching Warrior Nun this year and realized we needed to make some more tropes and Winona Earp really dovetailed into the creation of those tropes because she kind of embodies two things we really love. So she's a glorious dumbass, primarily. She's a disaster chosen one, but also make sure you check out Diana's article on that. Um, It'll already be up, but I will go ahead and link that into this episode description as well, just because it's a fun piece. And, you know, Winona is a glorious dumbass. I think it should be celebrated. Yes. So if you have been living under a rock and you decided to be like, hmm, I think Ladies First is where I'm going to finally click and see what this whole Winona Earp thing is, here's Diana with a handy primer. Well... Winona is the descendant of famous gunslinger Wyatt Earp, who is a real person. He was a Wild West deputy. And for the sake of this story and in this canon, he killed a lot of people and then was cursed that everyone he killed would come back and basically terrorize his family. And the only thing that can kill those people that were brought back called Revenants is his magical gun. And Winona has the fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, task of being the current heir for the Earth clan. And she, well, she is the one who broke the curse last season. And in season four, we get to see everything that's happened since. And essentially just how much demon shit she has to put up with on an eternal basis. And really, she doesn't deserve any of it. She just wants a nice, normal life. Well, she wants a nice, normal life where she can go be a glorious dumbass is what she wants. (laughs) I mean, make no mistake, Winona Earp is not, you know, a stupid person. Uh, I know when we talk about glorious dumbass on here, we're not saying... We're not talking about somebody's actual intelligence. We're talking about the fact that they're a walking, essentially they're a mini walking chaos God. Um, You know, they bring the chaos with them wherever they go, but generally their heart is in the right place. And they also enjoy the chaos as much as they cause it. So it's fun to watch. And also, you know, 
they, they are prone to making some certain boneheaded decisions, but it seems to work out for them in the end. So it's, it's, it's an endearment we say with love. It's something we enjoy watching. It's just lovable, chaotic goofballs. Yeah, and I said, like, Wynonna definitely wants to kick ass, but she wants to kick ass on her terms. And not because of something her great ancestor did. That's coming to haunt her many years later. Yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, I, Diana talks about this in her article as well, as Wynonna technically fits into the disaster chosen one trope of um, her history. It was like, she was not the oldest. It always passes, it technically always passes to the oldest herb heir. So Winona got it under tragic circumstances. She was not supposed to get it. She ran away from that duty for the longest time. And she is probably one of the most wildly chaotic herb heirs ever. So she also does fit into that whole disaster chosen one trope. But because she's a glorious dumbass, we have a fun time watching it. It's not like, you know, Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> you were supposed to be the chosen one and you massacred children and like to be fair to Winona, well i guess anakin also kind of did kill sidious in the end but like Winona didn't have to become evil and go down a path for a dark path for decades before she like actually did her thing and like broke her curse she did do it she just did it on her own terms she did it on her own terms and i you know she had a rough go of it we know their daddy what was his name wyatt not wyatt or we just said Wyatt. whatever their dad's name was ward he was not the best dad or husband we know he was an alcoholic um it is intimated that he was also violent and the townspeople were not much better towards Winona afterwards. So she really had a rough go of it. Um, you know, I'm not trying to say it's like Anakin had a rough go of it. Winona didn't have to deal with any hardship. I mean, Winona and also Ava too and Warrior Nun both have a pretty rough start in life. So I think part of what being a GD is, is you also have humor as a bit of a deflective weapon at times. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, or you can use your optimism as a weapon or your humor as a weapon. Um, I know we've talked about Thor also being a glorious dumbass, which he is, but he's also relentlessly optimistic even when everything goes wrong. He snaps out of it pretty quickly in a way that also just disarms other people. So I think that's maybe another thing that Winona kind of has in common of it's like, you can keep kicking me down, but fuck you, I'm going to stand up anyway, because fuck you, I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, and, like, she definitely uses her sardonic nature very much as, like, a shield for herself. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like you said, she broke the curse on her own terms. Yeah. Normally it was said, you know, you have to kill every single revenant. Winona finds out there's people that Wyatt shot that were innocent people that have been stuck with this curse through no fault of their own and tortured too and i think it's more of a testament to her that she's also just like this isn't right i don't yeah. want to blindly follow this tradition of just murder boating like yeah there are bad revenants but we find out there's revenants that are harmless or there's revenants that were entirely innocent people that got caught up in why it's everything like just collateral damage in everything yeah, I mean, Bobo Del Rey, spoiler alert if you haven't watched this, Bobo Del Rey was one of Wyatt's most stalwart, you know, white hat supporters. 
and he just wound up being collateral and you know he was tortured for years and years and years in hell and it drove him mad I and mean, it was no through no fault of his own he was a good guy when he was alive so I think Winona is probably, because she's a disaster chosen one and a glorious dumbass, primarily a glorious dumbass, and she's like, I want to do this my way. I think she's also more uniquely qualified to be like, why does it have to be I have to kill all these people? Like, some of them haven't even done anything wrong. Yeah, so like, she decides to go straight to the top and kill the person who started this entire curse. And also, I mean, like, in season four, we find out there's this entity called Eve that can also take on other people and their shapes, which she did in episode one and two with a very yeah. nude uh, Nicole Hot <laughs> for a while. Um, so obviously in season four, the second half of the season, Eve did get out of the garden. Um, at the end of the third season, uh, you know, Waverly and uh, Doc had gotten stuck in the garden. And part of the first half of the season four was getting them out of the garden. And really, uh, episode one and two were kind of about that. And then the rest of the episodes were the fallout of like, well, they were in the garden for like a year and purgatory went to shit. So now we got to fix stuff. So yeah. season four, I think the second half is hopefully where Eve is going to kind of come back in and we'll deal with that because after Eve got out of the garden, we didn't really hear about her. Yeah. Like, then. I was so sure, like, oh yeah, Wynonna Earp is doing Eve as the big bad this season. That's, like, totally what Wynonna Earp would do. And then, nope, they pulled out, like, an entire other set of villains that were their own delightful evil Almost tragic in a sense. I mean, the mid-season finale of Winona Earp is very bittersweet. It's sweet because we finally get the uh, way hot engagement. Yeah. But it's bittersweet because Doc had tried really hard to kind of embrace finding a better way that's not always killing people. And he really got through this rival family leader he was going to back down and end that cycle. And then Winona just shot him in the back. Yeah. And in the entire premise of like this whole other family that has their own course on them was just like very interesting to me, especially with the mother, um, Margot, where she, she's essentially like an anti Winona where Winona did everything to end her curse so that she could live her life and so that her family could live her life. And then we see, like, Margot has essentially been lording over the idea that she is the heir to her children, using that as, like, a power to, like, hold them down and keep them in place. And that just left everyone in their family better. We see that the younger brother, Billy, he didn't want any part of it, and that got him killed by his own mother, um... Cleo is her own kind of crazy where she just has a hatred towards the oops without really knowing why and she goes after them like that and then um Holt he is like the most tragic one of all because in a lot of ways he's like Winona where he loses his family and that takes a lot from him and like just when we see him hit at that breaking point Winona shoots him and we never get to see if he could really fulfill himself or try and redeem himself. 
And I think that's also meant to be like for Winona, that's probably one of her lowest points is that she shot a man who was willing to walk away in the back. And I know Doc was really upset with her too, but we find out why towards the very end of like, they were threatening their kid. We don't know if he'd have gone through with it, but we know that there was the threat that they were going to go after Alice. And at some point, Winona's mama bear instincts kick in. Yeah. Like I, I kind of really liked how like they framed that moment where like, you kind of completely understood where Winona was coming from and why she did what she did. But at the same time, there was no triumph in the moment. There was no, this is the big bad that they're killing. This is an evil that they needed to vanquish. This was just a man who was really broken. It was a very hollow victory. I mean, they triumphed over their decades-long feud with this other family, but in the end, it was very hollow. That family was just ground to dirt. Winona probably broke a little piece of herself doing it. To, I mean, you understand why she did it, but you know she she's not happy with herself about it. Doc isn't happy about it. It's just, it's very unfortunate that a lot of it really stemmed from Margot and how she responded to the curse and how she basically doomed her entire family. Because yeah. she put all of those events in motion that led to her children's death and her death. Even, you know, she cursed Nicole. She was going to lord it over Nicole. You know, Waverly finally confronts her and we find out, oh, she does still have some angel powers and basically melts her face off. Um, yeah. But it's really quite tragic because she is just so obsessed with their curse and their prophecy or whatever that she just dooms her entire family through what she sets in motion. Yeah, the most tragic part of it is like the whole reason she like makes the moves that she does is because, and she says it, that she is terrified that her kids will not be able to carry on this legacy of vengeance. So she wants to do it while she's alive so it doesn't so she doesn't have to worry about them failing it and it ends up dooming them all. Yeah, it's fair. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that sense of because the Earps the current Earp generation has no idea that they even really exist. Have completely forgotten about them. I think would have been very happy to be like, "Hey, let's join up. Let's work so we can lift this curse on y'all." But yeah. Margot can't let it go and it just consumes her and it consumes her family right along with her. And I think that's one of the most tragic points of the entire series. And I think it really does highlight Winona as, you know, the DCOGD of I'm going to make my own path and stop this cycle. Because it really is, it's a cycle of violence that's been going on for generations. And Winona's just kind of, I think, why she's such a fascinating character. Like, yeah, she's a hot mess, but she's, you know, I don't want, I'll be my own hot mess, but I don't want this hot mess over here to keep perpetuating. Yeah. But while we're on the topic of Winona being a hot mess, let's talk a little bit about the beginning of the season and how they didn't let her get away with one of her more boneheaded ideas, which was when she drugged the rest of her team, barring her sister, so she could go fight the big bad Bolshar without risking their lives, which 
sentiments appreciated, perhaps not the best way to take away their choice by drugging them and leaving them unconscious. Well, Nicole jumps out of a train and stalks her ass up to, like, the border and then just halts off and wallops her right in the face. And I'm kind of like, yeah, it's... Um, it's like in Warrior Nun when Mary just yeets Ava right off the cliff. She had it coming. Yeah, it I'm like, little... yeah, Winona pretty much had that one coming. It was a little mean, but she had it coming. Uh, it's like, you can understand exactly why Nicole did that and why is just like, yep, I had that one coming. I'm going to take that one on the chin. I mean, she's legitimately thrilled to see Nicole again. And I love that episode where it's like they confirm is like Nicole or... Wynota does consider Nicole to be her best friend, but I think it's very, um, I think it's a hallmark of being a GD of like, you're going to make some boneheaded decisions, but you also apologize for them. Yeah. And I, I just love Wynona and Nicole's dynamic. They're like such polar opposites, yet that is the thing that makes them work so well together. Mm-hmm. Well, also, it, I mean, it's not just Nicole, though, with what happened there. Um, um, Jeremy was drugged, too, and Jeremy comes back in a couple of episodes later down the road, and he's a little um, not happy with her either. He gets over it, obviously, because he's Jeremy, and he's got a heart of gold. He's... Well, he Yeah. He would be I'm- the Camilla of this series. Those two characters that, you know, the most the best buttercup and the buttercup field type of thing. Yeah. And, like, Jeremy did have, like, six months to process it. Like, Nicole met back up with Wynonna, like, the day after it happened. Jeremy still had, like, six months, no, 18 months. Yeah, Jeremy had a lot more time to process what happened. Um, So, obviously, there was no Wynonna slugging. But, you know, Wynonna does owe him an apology, too. Yeah. But I also love um, just how much Jeremy's grown in with this family of when Eve takes on Jeremy's form. It's like, there's so much useless knowledge up in this head. And Doc is like, that shows he has passion. Yeah. That's one of my favorite lines. I mean, the entire season has a lot of favorite moments, but it's one of my favorite moments because you can just tell, like, Doc's like, that is my nerd and nobody makes fun of my nerd but me. Yeah, I love Winona Earp's like sense of humor where it's very self-referential and kind of rewards you for like being a fan and watching it. Mm-hmm. Well, and then like Rosita, glorious Rosita came back as well. Um, and I love the the reason I keep bringing up warrior nuns in this because we can't talk about Rosita without talking about the nuns as well. <laughs> And I'm just like, man, everything is about nuns. Um, so Rosita, we see her in season three. Um, she was a revenant. She'd been Doc's girlfriend over the time. She's very smart. Um, I'm sorry, we see her in season two. And, she, you know, she'd betrayed them. She comes back. There's this whole complicated history. But we see her again in season four. Wynona has had it up to here with her. They wind up hostage with some well one evil nun demon and then some other basically we got caught up as collateral damage from you know the original erp 
and we're stuck here and we can't leave this sanctuary because the ground will burn us type of thing, which is what Rosita is stuck in. And Winona and Rosita have to work together to kill the basically evil nun overlord. And all the nuns are just like, oh, will you stay? And then it's, it's implied there is at least some level of sapphic there. And Rosita is bisexual implied. And she's just like, oh, I'll stay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. That would be a pretty good send off. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, Winona's like, let bygones be bygones. You do you. Yeah. And Winona is honestly, she's like, all right, more power to you. You have fun with that. Try not to tie yourself out. <laughs> And she's just like, all right, I'm moving on. And that's what I do love about Winona is like once she's like hit that moment of like, fine, I'm over it. Like she's truly over it. She's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, she she doesn't let herself dwell in the past. And it's, again, I think that's also a trait of the GD of like once they've forgiven you, it's not like there's strings attached or I'm going to keep bringing it up. It's like once they're at that point where they're like, all right, I'm done. I'm fine with it. It is, it's just like, all right, we're good. And they're just yeah. truly good. Yeah. Unless your name is Waverly, in which case you just obsess over everything. I don't think Waverly really falls into GD. She has moments of it. No, I, I think she's more of the disaster chosen one with her, like, the angel legacy. Mm-hmm. But but she's also has a little bit, she's this weird combination of all three. Because she's got some dutiful princess in her, too. We might need to, like, come up with a whole other trope for Waverly. Well, it just could be the Holy Trinity for her. We could just say she's one of the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she literally is. She's an angel, so it fits. Pun is totally intended here. Um, but, I mean, she does have elements of that dutiful princess trope. I think she drops them a little bit by the end of the mid-season four finale, but at the beginning of season four, she was like, I'm going to sit my ass on this very cold stone chair and keep Eve here forever, no matter what it costs me. And, you know, that's, and that is it, just prime it, dutiful princess. Yeah, but then it takes, like, one conversation from Winona and a reminder that Nicole is waiting for her to go, oh, like, Oh, never mind, yeah. bye. <laughs> I, yeah, I see. That's where, like, the DCO part comes in, where she's just like, oh, wait, Nicole. Nicole yeah. is the kryptonite to her dutiful princess streak, versus Nicole is very much in the dutiful princess mold of just, she could have an entire thing. or She she is very much the dutiful princess archetype. Oh, yeah, especially this season, where she just, like, languishes in, like, self-guilt for not being able to do anything for 18 months, despite the fact that they were trapped in maybe hell purgatory some kind of prison that the garden was yeah it's well and you see it's like she guarded the homestead from you know it was a lot of shit she's very jumpy she made a deal with margo of all people to try to get them back um really we could easily easily do an article on why Nicole Hot is Purgatory's dutiful princess. Easily make that case. Probably, yes. maybe, almost as easy as why Winona is the glorious dumbass. Yeah, especially after this first half of the season. Mm-hmm. 
Well, but that's also like she lost the campaign for sheriff and she still, it was just, I have a duty to protect the, the Earp homestead in case they ever come back. I, I have to do this. It's my duty. It doesn't matter how much it hurts me. And even when she's no longer got a badge, it's this just intrinsic call towards some form of duty that she still feels at least towards the herbs that she needs to do. Yeah, and, like, when she realizes she fucked up and, like, made a deal with essentially the devil, she literally kills herself to make it right. Yeah, uh, I, I still would love to see Waverly in the second part of the fourth season just bring that up one day of, by the way, next time you do something silly, we fix it together. You don't go kill yourself and let me walk in on that. I still have nightmares. You know, just, I do want that to come up just because that should be something that they discuss, especially since they're going to be married. Yeah. So I do appreciate that you show that even while she was dead, she was still like part of the plot and like Mm -hmm. had her own agency as a ghost, which is still like just great to see. Because, like, usually when the queer woman ends up dead, that's it. But with Winona Earp, she's still getting plot done. Well, and I'm also... She is she is borderline immortal at this point. Nicole Hot has been shot. She has been stabbed. She has been literally killed. She's been blown up. She's still here. I'm almost like this is Emily Andres' version of... Or her answer to the kill your gays trope of like, oh, I'm going to make someone who's literally unkillable. She's like a Teflon queer. Yeah. Um, I also do, I do want to talk about the newest uh, cast member edition in season four, Rachel Valdez. Yes. And she's basically a teenager. Her mom died at the science facility. She got trapped there. And then unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, was found by Winona and Nicole and is basically kind of been pseudo adopted by them. Yes. And now has the misfortune. She also now has the misfortune of walking in on Waverly and Nicole in post-coital whatever on the kitchen floor. So you know, again, fortunately or unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Uh, someone needs to keep up the tradition of interrupting them. Yes, especially since Winona's Interruptus was dealing with some other things. But I really do like the addition of she's a little bit younger. She has this Gen Z element of the adults are very silly and I'm just going to do what I want to do. But she also gives Waverly, because Waverly's not the baby anymore. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it kind of gives Nicole and Waverly, particularly, and Doc of, well, Alice isn't here, but here's this teenager, this minor that we're now kind of apparently responsible for. So we have to attempt to try to do some kind of parenting to mixed results. Yeah, and she just brings like a really fun dynamic where they all kind of have to co-parent her, but like these people are all like disasters in their own way. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I think Doc tries so hard with her. I I love her scenes with Doc because he is legitimately trying to be a kind of father figure. Because she's like, well, what do we do now? You are going home and you are staying there while we take care of this. Well, I don't know. You are going home. (laughs) 
Like, he is trying very hard this season to be, like, responsible in a way that he hasn't before. And, it's, again, it goes back to what's so tragic by the end of the midseason is half of his efforts have wound up being utterly futile. But I love watching him with Rachel when he's trying to be like, I should be parental-ish responsible adult. I am the only adult here. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I mean, that's really true, because, like, Winona is just making sex jokes all the time, and Nicole tries. Nicole tries, but she was also alone for a very long time, and it's kind of hinted that Rachel moved to the homestead to keep an eye on Nicole by that point, so she was almost an adult in that situation herself, so I'm glad that the others are back, and it's not so much Rachel has to be an adult, so Rachel can sometimes be a silly teenager and the other adults in the room have to scramble to fix it yeah i do hope for like rachel's sake that that whole revenant thing with billy who was kind of her sweetheart can be reversed Mm -hmm. that was sad again it's like there's a very tragic poignant part of the season of just like what becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and what Margot did and it permeates out through basically every character is affected by it yeah but also i told you you could so um a certain scene happened in this first half of season four because they finally got a later time slot which is also why they're allowed to say wordy dirds now but i told diana she could talk about the scene and i'm gonna let her have it now it's all on me well you're the one who wanted to talk about it well okay it's so if you haven't seen the season yet i am talking about the scene that has been known as the stairs scene and it is known as that because in their reunion, Nicole and Waverly just have at it and have a very, really tender and poignant and also hot as hell sex scene and that like long. starts in the living room and was probably progressing to the bedroom, but they just like gave up halfway and ended up on the stairs. Also, again, that was long for a queer sex scene. Uh, It's worth noting because, A, it's between two queer women. B, it's on, you know, kind of cable TV. C, it was on a later time slot, so they finally let them, you know, they actually were able to do a scene like that. But also, when they talk, when you see the behind the scenes, uh, Emily Andres really worked with, the director and then Dominique and Kat on how do we sell something that's authentic and, you know, hot, but it's also something you two are comfortable with. Yeah. Like the amazing part of the scene is like, as like sexy as it was, like there was like no male gaze aspect to it. Mm-hmm. it just felt really tender and intimate, like almost to the point it was like, Oh, am I invading in a personal moment here? I don't feel like I should be watching this. This is, very into it yeah and it made it was much more emotionally charged and you make a good point about it's not about the male gaze on here it's just these two have been apart for one of them it's only been like a day or two but for the other one it's been 18 months she didn't know if she was ever going to see her again so there's this element of desperation in there 
I mean, there's yeah. elements of desperation for both, but the stakes are higher for Nicole. And I think that's why Nicole couldn't wait to get past the stairs. Yeah. But it's very emotionally charged. And it's, like you said, it's almost, I'm uncomfortable watching this because it feels that intimate. And it goes again to, they really let the two actresses talk it out beforehand to figure out how they wanted to do it uh, between them and the director. So it was tasteful and it was about the characters, not so much being salacious, but this is our big reunion scene. And this is celebrating the love between these two characters. Yeah. It's like, it's so rare to get a scene like that, especially for queer women. It's rare to begin with. And then half the time when we do get one, it is exceptionally male gazy where you're just like, I don't want to watch this because it feels like somebody shot a porn film. Yeah. Or it's just, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's intimate between the characters. It feels like somebody just put it in there to be titillating instead of it makes sense for the characters to do this. Yeah. And Nicole and uh, Waverly's whole arc this season was just like such a refreshing like refreshing to see because like this is season four now and they've been in a relationship since season one and like usually shows at this point like with other couples who have been committed to each other for this long it's you tend to see the kind of drama being played up at this point where like oh there's miscommunications that's just petty but like we got none of that this season I will say one of the things I did like was it was this nice sort of role reversal because seasons one through three is very much Nicole has kind of been in that protector role in their relationship. Like there was, you know, I think there was maybe an episode in season three where we find out Nicole was like a Bolshar survivor where she's kind of in some role reversal, but for most of the part, most of the time, in the previous seasons, it's Nicole's in the protector role. Yeah. And, like, and with, that, um, with her backstory, it felt more, more like Nedley was in the protector role for her mm-hmm. in that case than but, Waverly at that point. Yeah, there's like one scene where she's being comforted by Waverly, but season four, I think it was refreshing for me to see because you don't want it to always be one character is the damsel, the other one is always the strong one, you know? And this one, we got to see, like, Waverly has realized that Nicole is traumatized by some stuff. She has some other things going on, and she kind of really steps up when Nicole is... It is obvious that Nicole is struggling to keep it together. And it's nice that you do get to, instead of seeing, like, these petty miscommunications, there's stuff that they have to work through, but it's this complimentary of, like, you need me to step up now, so I'm going to step up to help you, which is what Waverly did for Nicole. And that's where the drama came from of, oh, the shoe is on the other foot. Is Waverly going to be able to rise to the occasion? And she passes with flying colors. Yeah, and I really like that. Um, You can, like, there is this distance between them because of the time that there was for Nicole. But at no point do we see, like, any artificial, like, pulling away for the sake of drama. Like, there are moments when, like, Nicole is not entirely present, but she's still able to, like, engage with um mm-hmm. Waverly and she's still open to like getting back to a place of where she's able to feel comfortable again with like knowing that they're there and that they're okay 
And Waverly is very patient with her as well. There's not that, oh, why can't you be here now? Like, she's patient and she's cognizant of the fact that Nicole's been through some shit. Yeah. And she needs some time to work through it. And then in this other area, she needs help. And, you know, every time it's presented to her, Waverly steps up to the plate to do it. So that part's very refreshing. And I think it makes their relationship really solidifies it as something helpful you know, healthy of, it's not always one person's the damsel. The other person has to be the strong one all the time. It's this, the first half of season four really kind of showed us like, no, they're both there for each other when they need it. Yeah. And then like the whole thing culminated in this really beautiful engagement scene. Yes. Again, that's, that was the sweet part of the bittersweet ending. Yeah. But I mean, it works out. It works out. It was a long time coming. I think, you know, it still gives it time to be sweet and feel like they've earned it. They've deserved it. They're going to get to be happy. And obviously the story's not over because there's no such thing as happily ever after. And they live in purgatory and are related to a glorious dumbass. So stuff is always going to be going on. Yes, but they at least have each other to support them. Yeah, it's the best shows that have those character arcs where two characters do get together. It's they can be married and you still want to watch them because you understand there's still stuff that they have to deal with or there's still challenges down the road that are interesting enough for me to want to see how they deal with it together now. Yeah, because people continuously grow and we're getting to see them continuously grow. Exactly. Um, you know, Waverly still has to grow into whatever her angel powers mean. So that alone is going to be fun. Uh, Winona is, again, a glorious dumbass. So she's going to bring chaos with her no matter what. Nicole is probably going to stumble into something and be like, we have to go Scooby-Doo it. So, you know, there's always going to be shenanigans coming across that these two are just, they're fun. And you want to watch them to see how they deal with it. Not, oh, well, they're together now, and that was the only reason at this point I was still wanting to watch just to see if will they or won't they, so I'm done, I can leave. Yeah. So what do you hope we see in the second half of season four? Um, well, I'd like to know more about Eve. Right. They've talked about Robin a few times, so I want to at least know what, like, what happened to him, um, Jeremy's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they were very vague about it. Like, oh, Robin is safe with a very, feel like there is quotation marks around that safe. So there's something there. Right. So we want to see even Robin. Obviously, I want to see the fallout with Doc and Winona from what she had to do. I also would love to see an Alice update or just, like, hear, like, oh, what's that? What's been going on with Alice it's been a while you know yeah because like I realized Alice would be like three year old at this point four because of the time at the very least she's three yeah so I mean like I'd like I'd like to hear at least a little bit about Alice I Eve is my big thing I'm, I'm assuming they're still keeping her in mind as the big bad for the rest of the season I would like to know what happened to Robin I would like to see if we get a way hot wedding that would be a nice thing to cap the season off with. I would love a way hot wedding. We deserve a way hot wedding. Man, this is, that is hard to say. Way hot, wet, way hot. That is a tongue twister. Way hot wedding. 
we deserve that after the year we have had. I'm yes. just going to put that out there. Emily Andres, if you want to help people recover from 2020, give us a way hot wedding. And like an actual wedding and not the horror wedding nightmare that we had with Nicole. Yeah, no, like actual legit happy wedding. Obviously, there's going to be some kind of shenanigans because Winona is involved. But I just want them to be able to be happy and married by the end of the season. Let us have that. Let us cap off and start 2021 on a good note. Well, depending on when the other half of 2020 season four actually comes out. We don't know when in 2021, but if it's early enough, let us start 2021 on a good note. Yes. So that I think is about all the time we're going to have for this. Uh, Do go ahead, uh, join our community discord we want to know what you would like to see in Winona Earp on the second half of season four. And if there's anything that we forgot to touch on, or if you're like, Hey, I can't believe you didn't talk about this. Or why did you say this? Uh, you know, we just like to talk to you guys and we'd love to see you on our community discord. We are pretty active on there. And a lot of our writers and or editors, i.e. Diana and I, are fairly active on there as well. So we would love to have some more Winona Earp discussion. Also, uh, don't forget we have other podcasts on our Fundamentals Network. And those include Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, The Fundamentalists, Unabashed Book Snobbery, That's Haram, obviously, Ladies First. Uh, we also have Sartorial Splendor, All Barked. No Dice, and we have a weekly uh, TTRPG live play show called Faith Forge Academy. It's every week. They're a really awesome group of folks who uh, do live plays, and they're just really, really nice people. You guys need to check them out because they're wildly entertaining to boot. And we may even have some surprises coming in store for you guys in 2021, maybe, if we're here. Don't say it like that. It sounds so ominous. Well, I'm just like, I feel, I'm like, I shouldn't say this stuff. I shouldn't say we're going to have this because who knows what's going to happen by the time 2021 (laughs) gets into the swing of things. But we are hopeful that 2021 will be a better year than 2020. Knock on all of our wooden heads and cross all of our fingers that we are going to maybe start to climb out of that trash fire. Hopefully. Anyways, thank you again, Diana, for coming on and talking to me about Winona Earp. I know, like I said, it's been a hot minute since we talked about it on Ladies First. Don't forget to go read her article on Winona Earp, The Glorious Dumbass. Again, I will have that linked into the article. If you're listening to this on one of our streaming platforms, we do post uh, the episode in an article on our website, so you can go find it there. And don't forget to check out Diana's Winona Earp reviews because she will be doing those once we do finally um, get more episodes. Yep. At least I hope she is because I just said she was. <laughs> Guess what you're doing, Diana? So, anyways, don't forget to check those out. If you do want a primer um, for the season four before uh, the rest of it starts, Diana did recap all of the first half of the season. So, I'll do a little quick link there for you to find those two as well. And again, be sure to check out our community. We would love to hear from you guys on that note. 
We hope you have a better 2021. Still be safe. We'll get there. Diana, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.